The first reading is 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 to 17. You'll find it on page 1226 of the Church Bibles. Do not love the world or anything in the world. If anyone loves the world, love for the Father is not in them. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. The world and its desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. The second reading is Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. It is on page 970 in the Church Bibles. This is then how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we are forgiven, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. This is the word of the Lord. We're going uh, to focus in now as we look at week two. So last week, as we introduced this series on what Winehouse pray, Will spoke to us about praying with intimacy and awe. And this week, as we look at the your kingdom come, your will be done, we're thinking about praying with certainty, but praying with surrender. Now, I wonder if anybody knows who that is. Uh, it might be a bit before your time. Uh, uh, it's, it's not a football hooligan. Um, it actually was the England captain in 1989, a man called Terry Butcher, uh, appropriate name given the um, photo. Um, and I know what you're thinking, 1989, Tom is far too young to have ever seen him play. Sadly, I'm not. It's this this actual photo was taken in one of the first matches I ever remember watching on TV. I appreciate that many of us weren't born then. That's fine, you don't need to know. But on, um, on the 7th of September 1989, England had a vital away game against Sweden. They had to get a draw in order to qualify for the World Cup. Um, but before half-time, Terry Butcher went up for a header. He was a centre-back. He went up for a header and had a bad clash of heads with a Swedish player. And he got cut on his head, as you can see from the picture. He began bleeding. And the problem was that he was the most important player in the team. He was kind of like you know, the David Beckham or the Harry Kane equivalent. Like, you felt that if Terry Butcher wasn't playing, England just didn't stand a chance. So he was, at halftime, he was taken in, he was given, given a quick couple of stitches and bandaged up, patched up and sent back out in the second half to play. Could you imagine that happening now? Thankfully, our um, head injury stuff has come uh, much further since then. Um, but in the end, Terry Butcher lasted through the game. England got the draw they needed. Uh, and this photo was taken, like, bang on the final whistle, basically. That's on the pitch. A photographer came on the pitch and took a picture of him looking like that. Listen to what Terry Butcher says now about that picture. He says, It is the image I'm most remembered for, and it is the one that has filled me with a lot of pride. Pride because we got the point we needed to qualify for the World Cup. Now, do you see he's not like, oh, it fills me with anger that nobody looked after my well-being or, you know, it fills me with a sense of like, uh, you know, uh, that I was foolish because I didn't come off at, at half time. Now, he says it fills me with a sense of pride. 
He's got no concern for himself. He's not worried about his health, his well-being. He cared more about the success of the team than he did himself. Now, I definitely don't recommend doing what Terry Butcher did under any circumstances. I want to make that absolutely clear this morning. Um, And he's still fine. That was 40 years ago, nearly. He's like a radio commentator now. He's been a manager. He's absolutely fine. No no bad after effects. But this selfless attitude of laying down, you know, your own interests for the sake of a bigger vision, that gives us a really helpful clue as we come in to what Jesus is teaching us today when he's teaching us to pray, your kingdom come your will be done. We are going to see this morning that we have a God um, whose promise is certain, whose perfect plan is so good that we can surrender to it. So I want to encourage us this morning, have our Bibles open as we look at these two texts. We're going to be starting in Matthew chapter 6, which is on page 700, sorry, 970 of your Bibles. And the first thing that we need to remember this morning, as Will explained to us last week and just now reminded us of, it's really helpful. Jesus isn't teaching us a formula for praying with the Lord's Prayer. He's not teaching us a special form of words that we have to go through. Although it's good to pray those words. It's not about a formula. It's about a posture. All of this prayer is about how we position ourselves, our mindset, our heart position as we come into the Lord's presence. And in these 13 words, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Jesus is teaching us two heart postures in particular. And the first one is this. He's teaching us that when we pray your kingdom come, we pray with certainty. Now, it's a bit of a strange thing for Jesus to say to instruct us to pray, your kingdom come. Because one of the first things that he said in his earthly ministry seems to contradict it. This is what he says at the beginning of Mark's gospel. The time has come, the kingdom of God has come near. Repent and believe the good news. So if he's saying the kingdom of God is near, why is he telling us to pray your kingdom come? Well, it comes to an idea that um, we call the now and not yet. I don't know if you've heard of that. The easiest way to explain it is to use an illustration from World War II. Um, it, up until 1944, most of Europe in World War II had been occupied by the Nazis and the, the enemy forces. Uh, and on, um, on the 6th of June 1944, something decisive happened. You've probably heard of it. It was called D-Day. And on that day, um, the Allies, uh, so uh, Britain, France, America, landed, and lots of other countries landed 133,000 troops on the beaches of Normandy in one single day. And that was the day that is largely accepted swung the war in the Allies' favour. From that moment on, it was basically assumed that victory was guaranteed because they'd managed to get all their troops in safely. But that didn't mean that they could stop fighting. You know, there were still battles to be won. Soldiers were still going to die. There was going to be pain and suffering ahead until nearly a year later on the 8th of March 1945 when VE Day happened, when there was the formal surrender of the Nazis uh, and the enemy forces. And that was when the war was officially over. And we live in that in-between time. You know, D-Day for us is when Jesus rose again from the dead on uh, Easter Sunday, as we're going to celebrate in a few weeks' time. Victory is guaranteed. At that moment, when Jesus rises again, the victory is guaranteed. The kingdom has come near. But it won't be complete until our VE day, which is when Jesus comes again, when he returns to earth, when he comes back for the second time. 
then the war will truly be over. So the kingdom is kind of now and near, but it's not fully here yet. So that's what Jesus is trying to teach us. There is still death and fear and suffering and grief and anxiety in the world. And many of us, as we've said already this morning, many of us come and we're acutely aware of that. We're in a place of experiencing that for ourselves at the moment. But the Bible tells us that when the kingdom does arrive fully, when Jesus returns, he's going to wipe away every tear. There will be no more death, no mourning, no pain. For all of us who have a faith in him, we get to go and be with him forever. We get to worship him. We get to have this perfect, glorious existence in his presence with no more fear, no more pain, no more death. And until that day, we're going to see the kingdom breaking through bit by bit. So that helps us a little bit to understand what Jesus is getting at. But what does it actually look like to see the kingdom breaking through? Well, there's a big clue um, in the way that Jesus words this instruction. Does he teach us to pray, my kingdom come or our kingdom come? No, it's quite clear, isn't it? Your kingdom come. Remember, we started the prayer last week by praying our Father. And we're still in that place. It isn't about us. It's about him. And that might sound obvious, but actually it's really easy to fall into the trap of making the kingdom of God about us. Listen just to what the disciples say. These are Jesus' 12 closest friends, and they've seen his whole earthly ministry right before he goes up to heaven. This is what the disciples say to Jesus. Lord, has the time come for you to free Israel and restore our kingdom? It's really revealing, isn't it? They still think it's about them. They've seen everything that Jesus has done and they still think it's all about them. But the truth is the kingdom of God is not a political thing. It's not a national thing. It's not a personal thing. It's not even a church thing, although the two things do overlap. Church and kingdom can be very similar, but it's not necessarily about the church. There's a theologian that I love reading called Kevin DeYoung and he puts it this way. He says, the kingdom does not advance when trees are planted or unemployment lowered or beautiful art is created or elections go one way or another. Those may all be important things. They may reflect certain values of the kingdom, but the kingdom comes where the king is known. When Jesus is loved and worshipped and believed upon, there the kingdom of God is in the midst of you. Do you see the difference? The kingdom of God isn't something that we build It's a gift to pray that we would receive. And that's why we put so much value here at LPC and Alpha because, you know, we don't say that we've got this amazing course and we're going to, you know, do all these wonderful things to convince you about the good news of Jesus. What we do is we pray and we invite people to come and hear the good news and we just let the Holy, we say, Holy Spirit, you come and and do your work. This is your work, your kingdom building, not ours. And in our prayers and discernment in this season, we have a sense that for this region, for our town, for this nation, the Lord is taking us into a season where he's going to be bringing down the barriers to people coming to know him. He's going to be um, taking things away that in the past blocked people from seeing who he is. And so we're going to be pushing into that and praying for the kingdom to come in future weeks, months and years, God willing. Imagine, I suppose it's really helpful just to imagine a cloudy day. You know, you'd really like to feel some sun on your face. No matter how hard you work, you can't put the sun in the sky. 
But you can pray for the clouds to part, can't you? You can't build a sun or make a sun, but you can pray the clouds will part. And as those rays come through the, the clouds, that's like the kingdom of God breaking through. It's not our job to build it. Jesus commands us to wait and to pray for the day when he will return and bring it in all its fullness. He's going to come back as king. You know, during communion later that we'll mention, we're going to pray these words together. We're going to say, Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. That's what we're praying for, the coming of the king. So that's the first posture of prayer that we learn here from Jesus. We can pray with certainty, your kingdom come. The second posture that we learn from Jesus is that we can pray with surrender, your will be done. Your will be done. So what what does that actually look like? Well, for many of us here, um, perhaps if we're really honest, you know, we often kind of uh, pray the shopping list prayer. Do you know what I mean? Like you come to God in the morning and you say, oh God, I'm overwhelmed. I've got like um, an exam coming up in a few days time. I really need your help with that. And um, I've got a driving test as well. Could you just give me what I need to get through the driving test? And then, oh God, I'm a bit worried about my finances at the moment. So can you just help me to have enough money to just bridge the gap in my overdraft for this month? That'd be really helpful. And I love maybe like a partner in my life. So could you just bring the right person uh, into my life to meet them? And um, if, you've got, um, if you've got enough time, I'd really love Crystal Palace not to get relegated this season. Now, don't get me wrong. All of those things are legitimate and significant things to pray for, apart from the last one. Just to be 100% clear, I don't spend my time praying for Crystal Palace. I feel that is probably a lost cause. Um, God cares about all this stuff. You know, he is in the details. That's, you know, he loves, he loves us to bring our requests to him. But is that what we should be doing first? The first thing we're saying to him. Remember where we are in the Lord's Prayer. We're still in the, we haven't got past the God bit. We did, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done. We haven't got to the us bit yet. That comes next week. So come back again and hear, hear next week how to start praying for us. Ask yourself this. Do you want God's plan to be worked out more than you want your life to be easier? a hard question to ask, isn't it? Because the reality is it's so incredibly easy just to be consumed with our own circumstances. Our other reading from uh, 1 John um, spelt it out really clearly. This is what John writes in second chapter, verse 17. He says, the world and its evil desires pass away, but whoever does the will of God lives forever. You know, John is telling us that all the things we think we need, the temptations of the world, security, status, possessions, money, it's all temporary. But the will of God and his kingdom lasts forever. You know, recently, um, Megan and I felt really challenged on this personally, quite convicted. You know, we've got a lot going on in our lives right now. Megan's just gone back to work after a year off on maternity leave. We've got four children and like literally Every day, there's so many things happening in the day, like in terms of dropping kids off in different places, and me coming to work here, and Megan goes to work at um, the hospital uh, down the road. Like, there are so many things to think about. And we were just finding ourselves getting overwhelmed with everything that was going on. And we just felt the Lord challenge us, saying, you know, don't be consumed by it. 
don't worry about it. Don't worry about money. Don't worry about getting from A to B. Don't worry about cars. Don't worry about childcare. Just pursue me. Run after me. And that's enough. So we've committed to like rising early every day. The alarm goes off at 5.30 every morning. We're getting up and we're just spending time in the words. Just like seeking God's will for us. We don't always get it right. You know, sometimes you sleep through the alarm. Sometimes you just don't feel like getting up. But it's even like I've kind of, as well, I've given up like refined sugar for most of the week because actually I was finding that was stopping me from waking up and being attentive to the Lord. It's not about doing stuff for the sake of it, but it's about saying, Lord, I want to pursue you. I want to commit everything to you. I want to go after your will and not mine. And that's what Jesus, I think, is helping us to understand here, that praying isn't about getting God to do what we want. You know, he's not a genie in a bottle. We don't get three wishes and then it's gone. He's God in heaven. He's hallowed and holy. We're called to pray, his will be done. And you know, the best example that we can follow here Jesus himself, you know, when he was faced with being overwhelmed by his circumstances in the Garden of Gethsemane, the night before the cross, you know, he knew he was going to suffer unimaginable physical pain, total humiliation, unbearable separation from the Father. What did he pray? Father, if you are willing take this cup from me. Yeah, not my will, but yours be done. You know, Jesus could have asked for anything there, couldn't he? He could have said, oh Lord, I'd love, you know, give me a, a nice house and a, like a safe job, a safe way of saving the world. Like, can't I just be an earthly king and sit on an earthly throne somewhere and have a good life? But if he'd done that, then none of us would be here this morning. We would still be stuck in our sin and our mess. God would be unapproachable and distant. The cross wasn't an accident or a mistake. It was God's will to bring you back to him. And he achieved it through Jesus submitting to his will. And that's the thing, isn't it? Because we have such a tendency, we all do this. I know I do, as human beings, to... um, Think that we have it perfectly sorted, you know. We map out our life. We say, well, if I can just get to that point by this year, and this is my plan for the next year. But God sees the big picture. He sees the eternal picture. And the good news is that his plan is always way, way, way better than the best plan we could ever come up with. Good, um, the good news for us is that glory for God means goodness for us. You know, we might not see it on this side of eternity, but that is the promise of Scripture. We heard it earlier that God causes all things to work to good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 28. So if Jesus himself can pray that prayer under the most extreme pressure that any human has ever faced in the whole of history, then how much more should we? He's teaching us that every single day we need to pray with surrender. Now, I'm not trying to be trite here. I'm not for a minute suggesting that this is easy. We know it's not. The season that we're in as a church is hard. Remember that we're living between D-Day and VE-Day. The now and not yet. There is grief. 
There is sickness. There's pain and anxiety and fear. The kingdom's not fully here yet. God's plan often, if we're honest, doesn't seem to make much sense. Maybe you can relate to that picture that I put up at the beginning. Maybe that's how you feel, just like you're here this morning and you're bleeding out. Everything's going wrong and you can't stem, stem it. I want to encourage you this morning because whatever you are in the midst of, this prayer is for you. Because when we pray your kingdom come, it, it gives us certainty. It lifts um, our eyes away from what's going on, away from our circumstances. It lifts our eyes to Jesus. It reminds us that the arrival of the kingdom cannot be stopped. But at the same time, when we pray your will be done, it takes the pressure off. You know, it's, it's good news because it's saying, God, you know, it's not on us, it's on you. And Jesus has already done it. On the cross, he said, it is finished. The work is complete. His perfect plan is for our good. And it's always better than the best plan we could ever come up with. You know, if, if God used Jesus, when Jesus prayed that prayer, if God used him to save the whole of humanity, just think what he could do with you if you pray that prayer. So this morning, I just want to challenge us, maybe just encourage us. Before we ask what we think we need this morning, can we pray? Lord, your kingdom come in this land. Your kingdom come in Leatherhead. Your kingdom come at LPC. Can we pray, your will be done. Jesus, your will be done in my life, in my family, with my health, with my work, with my money. Your will be done. Let's come with confidence to our Father in heaven, whose name is hallowed and holy. We can pray with certainty and surrender. Your kingdom come, your will be done. In Jesus' name, amen.